Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. I'm Greg, and uh, look forward to jumping back into Proverbs today. We've been in a series for three or four weeks now, and uh, I've personally thoroughly enjoyed it. If you weren't here last week and you've got some thoughts on finance and need some help uh, on finances, would like to look at it from a biblical perspective, it was fantastic. So uh, check that out on the podcast. Hebrews, or excuse me, Hebrews, the Hebrew Bible calls Proverbs the Proverbs of Solomon. Solomon was Israel's third king. He was very wealthy. He was very wise. And here's what 1 Kings says about him. He says, he, Solomon, spoke 3,000 Proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. So what the book of Proverbs does is it takes these 3,000 Proverbs, puts it into about 513 for us to peruse. Uh, So that's what we're getting. The word proverb literally means to be like. So what what Proverbs does is is it shows us, it tells us what it's like to be wise and what it's like to be a fool. So just a comparison and contrast thing. One of the things that I would recommend, Tuesdays, the start of a new month, if you've never done this, just pick a proverb a day. You won't get through all of them because February is a short month, but uh, read Proverbs 1 on February 1 and just keep doing that. I would encourage you to, to uh, do that. So much good stuff. Today we're going to look at what does Proverbs have to say about work, and we're going to read several verses, uh, and then we're just going to jump into what is the theology of work, okay? So, if you just follow along with me, Proverbs 10, for this by the way is not an exhaustive list, but I think it gives you a good sampling, and, and for some of you, you may see a verse that convicts and you just need to write it in the notes on your phone or if you brought a journal, and then just camp out there. You and Holy Spirit, and you may have a better time than just me and you, right? So uh, do whatever you need to do there. First one, 10.4 says this, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Remember, Jonathan's taught us that these are mostly true sayings. They're not an absolute guarantee, but they're great wisdom. Most of the time, they're true. And by the way, rich in this day and age meant that you could have three meals a day. Okay? So, we're not talking about extravagant, right? Just means if you will work hard, you can provide food for your family. Clay and I were talking this week. There was a point where his dad was, I think, between churches. He was working, selling suits, working on his real estate license, and stocking shelves at a grocery store. Sometimes that's what we have to do for our family. But I don't find real significance and meaning in that. Shut up and work. (laughs) 
Provide for your family. Do what you need to do in those times and pray that God will ultimately give you something that brings meaning and puts food on your table. We won't spend that much time on each one of these. Uh, Twelve, eleven. whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Another translation again calls that a fool. Work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and become a slave. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. We're talking about the whole, the, the, the soul and, and our appetites, right? All hard work brings profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Commit to the Lord whatever you do. And he will establish your plans. Commit it. This is what I'm doing. This is my season of life. I do have to work three jobs. I have to work this one job. I'm going to commit it to you and then he'll establish your plans. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. All day long, he being the sluggard. By the way, it talks about 13 times in the book of Proverbs. It talks about the sluggard. He craves uh, for more, but the righteous give to others without sparing. Two more. Do not be one who shakes his hand in pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from underneath you. Maybe we could have put that one on last week's. Final one. Do not wear yourselves out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they're gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off again. So oftentimes we see that work is just about what we make. And I want to challenge that today. I want us to go back to to work and what is the theology behind work, and we find that in just the first few pages of the Bible, right? But before we get there, I want to remind us bluntly, God cares deeply about what you do professionally. The first first slide, I skipped past it so fast you probably didn't even see it, but I've entitled today's talk, Profession. Profession. It has a double meaning, right? It's not only this job in which we do, it is also the way in which, a way in which we profess our faith to others. And hopefully over the next 20, 25, 35, 40, 45, 50, uh, over the next several minutes, hopefully I can convince you that those two things go together. That your profession leads to your profession of faith. The average human being, let's just speak average here, uh, works about how many hours uh, or sleeps? Let's start with sleeps. How many hours does the average American sleep? Eight, seven, eight, nine. We'll go with eight, right in the middle, right in the middle, nine or eight. We'll go with eight and then the average, again, studies in America show this, so let's see if we can get it. The average American works how many hours a week? 40 hours a week, how many a day? Eight, it's actually nine. So it used to be eight, now, now it's up to nine that the average American works 45 hours a week, that's nine hours a day. You add that to the amount of time we sleep, we are at 17. We got a good mathematician down here, which is surprising coming from mid-America. I'm just kidding, <laughs> sorry. 
Just, uh-oh. Did you go to Mid-America? He said it last week, so he can say it, but I can't. All right. Keep going. So we're at 17, and then we'll add two or three hours for uh, things like your commute, exercise, yard work, which is work, right? Uh, doing your bills, preparing food f- uh, for your family to eat. We'll, we'll say that's two to three hours a week. You think I'm high or low there? You think I'm low? So we'll go with three, okay? So now that gets us, 17 plus three is, somebody else? 20. 20. That leaves about four hours a day left after we get done working, after we get done sleeping and doing our stuff. So if you add those chores to your actual job, the nine plus the three equals 12, half of our day is spent working. Sociologists actually go on to say that if you take vacations and weekends, Uh, that we end up, the average person, if they live an average life, they'll work one-third of their life. So you sleep one-third, you work one-third, and then you do whatever in the one-third, right? So it's obviously a significant portion of what we do, and God cares about it. Some of us, as it relates to work, some of us love it, some of us hate it. Some of us feel like it is a blessing. Others feel like it is a curse. Some people loathe it. Some people make it a god. They worship it. They make sacrifices for it. And they find their identity in their work. Something we're only to find in God. So so which is it? Which is it? Is it a blessing or a curse? Is it, is it a gift or is it just a necessary evil? You don't have to answer that out loud yet. Hopefully we'll answer that together. Let's go back to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. In the ancient East, kings would fashion out of stone their images, their likeness, and they would put it at major cross intersections and it all throughout the king's kingdom, right? All the way to the far ends. And, and the hope was that, that when they would see the king's likeness, it would remind them of his decrees, of his will, right, for both governors and citizens, that there is a will, there are decrees, there are laws given by this king, and it needs to be taken out to the furthest kingdom. So, furthest edges of the kingdom, so that everywhere within that kingdom, it would function like it does in the capital. Does that make sense? What we are for God are we are his representatives to make sure that his decrees, his laws flow throughout the earth as it is in heaven. It goes on to say, so not only do we reflect him, we then rule. So they may rule over the fish in the, in, uh, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all wild animals and over all creatures that move along the ground. So we were made to reflect and to rule. 
That is human beings' job description, that we would reflect and that we would rule. I was talking with Kelly last week uh, afterwards, Kelly and, and Lance, and I was like, hey, I need some of the, the poppyisms uh, for work. You know, like Jonathan shared on, uh, for finances, uh, Lance, you got anything? And Kelly, Kelly was standing there with us, and she's like, hey, you got to read the book Garden City. And I'm like, I got to work this week and write it on Saturday. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to get the full book read, but it was a great suggestion. Thank you very much. And one of the quotes in that book from John Mark Com Comer, who is the author, by the way, Garden City, write it down. At least the first four chapters I can speak of, they're good. <laughs> All right. Let's read this quote. Our job is to make the invisible God visible. To mirror, that's this idea of reflecting, right? We're to reflect and rule. To mirror and to mimic what he is like to the world. We can glorify God by doing our work in such a way that we make the invisible God visible by what we do and how we do it. You could take a picture of that with your phone and meditate on that for the next 20 minutes. That, that it, what we do and how we do it matters to God, and it can reflect Him to those that we work with, work for, and so on. In addition to this reflecting, we are to rule. This is king language in Hebrew. It's the word radah which means to rule, also means to reign, which means to have dominion over something. One Hebrew writer translates rule this way. He says, to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. How cool is that? God wants us to partner with him to, to take this world of his and ours somewhere. And since the beginning of time, he has been creating and he's been collecting co-regents, co-kings that can work with creator God, right? He, he could have created all human beings out of the dirt, right? But instead, he decided to partner with human beings, right? To multiply and to fill the earth. He could have continued to, to drop manna and food from heaven for us, but instead he decided to co-labor with humans, right? Through farmers, through traders and merchants and chefs. God is king over the world, yet we are his prince, princes and princesses. And we are royalty ruling with him on his behalf, no matter what you do. Genesis 1.28 goes on to say, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Theologians would call this the cultural mandate. This is what God created us to do from a cultural perspective. It is our job description. We're first to be fruitful and to multiply. Make families, make tribes, nations, churches, schools, neighborhoods, institutions, right? That's what we are. To, we're to make something out of people. That's, that's the first thing that we do. The second thing is then we rule, right? That is we harness the natural resources of the earth, trees, rivers, rocks, 
energy, vitamins, minerals. We take all these things and we harness their energy, right? And we plant crops and, and we build houses and build cities and invent technology and create art and music. And we do all of that because we were told to make something out of the natural world. So we make something out of people and we make something out of the natural world and we do all of this as his image bearer, as his likeness, as the signpost throughout the kingdom that says, this is what it looks like. This is what work should look like. Genesis 2.8 says, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man that he had formed. Eden means delight. It was beautiful, right? God cares about aesthetics and beauty and design. But he didn't create a garden that had paths and bridges, right? Don't think that. Don't think of a, of a, natu- of a park, right, that's been cared for and manicured and given us lanes. To walk. No, it's none of that. It was just this raw material that was somewhat chaotic but beautiful. And he puts Adam there. And then what does he say? He, he says, work it and take care of it. It's chaos. It's gorgeous. You're going to you're gonna have to do some things. You're going to have to work it. But as you work it, make sure you care for it. Pay attention. Give intention to what you do, right? The, the word for work here is the word abad, which means to cultivate, to develop. And I love this, to draw out the potential of something. That's what we do when we work. We, we maximize and draw out the potential of our employees, of the thing we make, the thing we do. I love how Tim Keller puts it. When he talks about work, he says this, it's rearranging the raw materials of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular to thrive and to flourish. How cool is that? Our work is other-centered, right? It's to help people thrive. Sometimes the industry I work in can get a black eye every once in a while. Oh, wow. I may have to read that to you. So the oil and gas business, right, which so many people in our city uh, work in, does, does a lot, right? It, it helps us commute from uh, our home to, to our work. It helps us heat and cool our homes, right? Amen. But it does 6,000 other things, and that's just because somebody got bored and stopped counting, right? So, so, so some of the things that you can't see up there, uh, I'll just highlight a few. Uh, bicycle tires, clothes, vitamin capsules, skis, amen, Jefferson, shampoo, guitar strings, I hear you, Trent, uh, anesthetics, refrigerators, toilet seats. When you do your thing, thank God for the oil and gas business. Uh, Fishing rods, praise Jesus. Baseballs, uh, footballs, aspirin, soap, shoes. We could go on. Surfboards. Hey, dude. All right. Isn't that cool? That's just one industry that we harness the raw natural. Do we need to do it responsibly? Absolutely. Thank God we do. Right? We need to do it responsibly, but we do it so that other people, humans, can thrive and they can flourish. So in the beginning, 
in Jesus, in Genesis, before the fall. Work was a blessing, was a gift. And if that's true, then why in America, in the workforce, is only 49% of employees satisfied with their job? Because Genesis 3, right? There was a fall, and the ground was cursed, and there are thorns and thistles, right? And there are weeds. If there are any gardeners in here, has your job gotten more difficult because of the fall? Is your job more difficult because of the fall, right? We, nothing against Alicia, we're just good at growing grass in our gardens, okay? It's hard. You have to do all kinds of certain things because of the fall there sometimes our job can be difficult as well so post genesis 3 it's about how do we function in a world after breaking god's system after going against his flow so what we know is in genesis 1 and 2 before there was a fall the world need taming right it was chaotic and it needed order it needed to be subdued subdued and ruled over Whose job is that again? Whose job is it to take this good thing, rule and subdue it? Humans. Humans. God says, you're my representatives, right? Make earth function like it does in heaven. That's our job. But now, after the fall, not only does the world need tamed, ruled, and subdued, but so do humans. I'll take that off so it's not too distracting. We need to be ruled over. We as humans now need to be subdued. We need to be lorded, which is why Jesus came. He came to make the world new by making humanity new. He came to do what Adam was supposed to do, which was to model perfectly how it is that you and I are supposed to live and work. Jonathan has reminded us since the, the beginning of starting this series that, that true wisdom must be grounded in truth, right? Jesus says, I am the truth. All wisdom is found in him. The only way to approach life wisely, your finances wisely, and work wisely is to apprentice Jesus. That's our job. Apprentice him. Follow him. And then spread the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel in three words? Jesus is Lord. Isn't that what we're talking about? Jesus is the king of the kingdom. We've got to do his, we have to do all things his way, according to his decrees, his laws, his good wisdom. That's the gospel. It's, It's us partnering with him pointing others to his reign and his rule. That's our job. Matthew 28, he he takes this uh, Jesus is Lord thing and he puts it into the first person, right? And he says, all authority has been given to me. Go make disciples, baptize and teach teach them my laws. Teach them the way it's done up here, down there. That's what I need you to do. 
right? So, so what, what scholars believe is that he's actually going back, and, and it's not so obvious to me, but it would be to the Jewish here that he's going back and taking this cultural mandate given in Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply, and subdue and rule, and, and then he's bringing this in in light of sin, in light of me, my life, my death, my resurrection, this is now your vocation. So what's it mean for you and I? It means we have a dual vocation. Be fruitful, multiply, rule and subdue. Teach people to follow me and what it looks like to live out kingdom on earth. We have a dual vocation. That's what it means to have a profession, right? You you have a job and you work in such a way that others see, right? We'll get to that. And that sometimes can be our words, right? Just by how we do what we do, others can see that, hmm, there's something different about that tribe of people. So part of what Jesus has done for us is to restore God's image in us. Jesus is restoring you, right? He's actually restoring you. He's changing your story. Whether work right now is a grind and you're, you're tired and you're exhausted and you don't like it, or you absolutely love it and find it difficult to go home. Either way, we bring it under God's lordship. We allow him to retell a new story about what work is and should be for us. We are to reflect God and we are to rule. Because ultimately, isn't that what we're going to do forever and ever and ever and ever? Right? Have you got got to the end of the book yet? Spoiler alert. (laughs) What we're going to do forever is we are going to reign and rule here on earth Revelation 22, right? We're not going, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but we're not going to go up there and float around on a cloud eating bonbons and playing a heart, right? I mean, it's just, that's not what, that's not what we do. We're going to be back here in a perfect earth, and we're going to be still working like we were when the earth was perfect. We're just going to be doing it perfectly. No amens? So what is this? What is what we do? What is our job now? I'm serious. What is our job now? It's practice. It's practice. I got practice. Volleyball practice today at 1.30. I can't wait because we're going to work and we're going to prepare and we're going to get better because we actually play on President's Day weekend. So we got, we got a lot of things to learn and do and implement, right, to get better at it. So when we show up for the real thing, we'll be better than we were the last time. That's what work is. It's practice. We're talking about practice? <laughs> work. By the way, look here before you look at the screen, you cheaters. Look here. Christians, Jesus followers, ought to be the best workers in all the world. More on that later. Work is the gracious expression of Yahweh's creative energy in service of others to create shalom. Man, I love that. That's what work is for. It's good. And it's not just for us. Well, this job doesn't really fulfill me. Well, how could you use your job to fulfill another? Because at the end of the day, life is not, not about you. Your work is not about you. 
It is going to be revealed to you here in a second. Before we get there, there are a couple of lies that we've got to address, right? A couple of lies we have to address about work, right? There are two lies. Work is a means to an end, right? Work is a means to an end. I do this so I can do that. I do this so I can make enough money to go and do that. That's the end. The end is money. The end is fame. The end is gluttony. The end is pleasure. The end is survival. The end is what is the end for you? What is the end of work for you? So you can finally enjoy the weekend? We, 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 we believe this lie that we, that we work to live. That's what we do. We, we, we work so that we can ultimately live. So if you had a long lost relative and, and, and they died and they gave you $10 million, would you get up and work the, the next day? Extroverts, don't be too, don't, don't, don't do too much of this, right? Because I don't, I don't want to see it. You should. If you understand the theology of work, Right? When things were good before the fall, this is going to get me in trouble. It's not in my notes. But we, do, we, did, we were supposed to work six days. I know there's a push for the four-day work week and all that stuff. I read the Wall Street Journal some when Tom Ford had sued me. Uh, so I, 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 know there, I know there's some pressures on that. Just, just hear me say, in, in its original, when it was good, we were just supposed to work six days a week from sunup to sundown. That's it. And the reason that we work five, religion got us to where we're at right now. It's a pretty decent thing, right? We now work five days because there was a time where there was a lot of arguments between the Jews and the Christians in America. And they're like, no, this is Sabbath. No, this is Sabbath. And they're like, forget it. Let's just give it both to them. So we have Saturdays and Sundays off. Pretty good gig. I'm going to go back to this if you're okay. Everybody still doing good? All right. The American dream, somewhere along the way, got hijacked, right? It was beautiful in its original form that was still fallen. Anyone from any background can pursue their dream in a career that helps them com- contribute to the greater good for all. That, that was the, the original American dream, but now it's, it's been hijacked to, I want to work as hard as I can, make as much as I can, as fast as I can, so that I can retire and, and go play golf in warm weather. Work. I love this. This is worth taking a picture of. Work is the expenditure of energy, manual or mental or both, in the service of others, which brings fulfillment to the worker, benefit to the community, and glory to God. Thank you, John Stott. Look at this. What, do, what is a work supposed to be about? It's supposed to, to, to bring fulfillment to you right? The person doing it, it's supposed to benefit somebody other than you, and hopefully lots of somebody's, but at least somebody else, right? And then ultimately give glory to God. If you find a job like that, just harness it, lean into it, be grateful for God, to God that you have it. Fulfillment to the worker, benefit to the community, glory to God. See, there, there is a lie that we work to live, but in reality, if you read Scripture, it appears that we live to work. We live to work. We were made to work, to create, to design, to help, sustain, encourage, build, benefit, plant, and increase shalom on earth. And we get to do it about a third of our life. And it's a blessing. It can be a blessing. 
Second, second lie I think we've got to debunk is that there's a sacred work and that there is a secular work, right? Sometimes this actually comes from inside the church, strangely enough, that just certain work matters to God, right? Like maybe, maybe this, like the, the preaching matters to God, and, and that's it. You know, there's, I, I worked at Crossings for uh, five years, six, seven, I don't know, several, certain amount of years, and that's the only time I've ever had one job in my life. That's the one thing that I did, but I didn't feel like I, that I was in the zone there and all those other times where I've had other jobs, that that, that, that wasn't ministry. You understand that whatever you do, you're called into full-time ministry, right? Manager. Now, I do think there are some pastoral calls. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But, but, but I, think it's, I do think it's goofy when people go, oh man, I'm going to leave this and I feel like I'm being called into full-time ministry. I'm like, you're late. You were called into full-time ministry when you invited Jesus into your life and you decided to apprentice him and follow him. That's, that's, that's that. But this separation is inbred into us, right? It's the air we breathe. It is the worldview that there's sacred and that there is secular. And this worldview goes back way before Jesus. It goes back to Plato where they basically ripped apart the sacred and the secular, right? Not biblical, not true. There's, there's nowhere in Hebrew scripture that uses the word spiritual. Like if you were to ask some, a Jew during the Old Testament time, hey, how's your spiritual life going? They'd look at you like you had three eyes. What do you mean how my spiritual life? Well, I work, I do this, I, I, I sense God there, and then I, I pray, and I, I sense God there, and then I eat, and that's because he gave it to me, so I sense God there. What do you, what do you mean? What, what, what is spiritual life? But that's not, that's not what we, we want to do, right? We want to separate. We want to say, here's our church stuff. Here, here, here's where we serve on Christian boards, and, and here's when we lead a Bible study, and this is my quiet time. This is over here, and then this over here, this is, what I, this is my work, this is my entertainment, what I watch, what I, what I fill my free time with, and, and we keep them separate. And when you do that, you you eject God from most of your life and the vast vast majority of your day. We're image bearers. Back back to the book. We are image bearers created to rule, to partner with God in pushing and pulling the creation project forward, to work it, to draw out earth's potential and unleash it for human flourishing, to cooperate with God in building a civilization where his people, that's all of us, not just people following, that's his people or all people, so that they can thrive in his presence. And in the cosmic agenda, each of us has a vocation, a calling from God, a way that God wired us, somebody to be and something to do. That's good stuff. Somebody, somebody to be and something to do. There is a myth that floats around Christianity that it doesn't really matter what you do, it's, it's who you are who you're becoming. And I'm not saying what you do is more important than who you are and what you're becoming, but I'm also not saying it's any less. Both matter. That's why some people are miserable at their jobs even if they make a boatload of cash. Because what we do matters. It's, it's, it's why, it's, I think, this is a hypothesis now, I could be wrong, but I think it's why the suicide rate is actually greater among retired seniors than it is teenagers. I may be wrong, 
But I think sometimes when you miss that something to do, I'm not the only one who thinks that, by the way. So we're going to come back to that. But I talked to, to two different people this week. Um, one was Steve Payne. Steve Payne is on our city care board. And, uh, you know, he, he had to miss a board meeting. He said, I'm sorry, I have to miss a board meeting. And I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? You work 40 hours a week for city care <laughs> for free. He goes, he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm in a season of my life where my vocation is to serve. Amen. Amen. But I don't think we have to wait till we're 65 till that's true. Our general counsel, Michael Reel, was talking about his dad. He's like, my dad works harder than he's ever worked. He works five or ten hours for money, and then he, has, he does a prison ministry. He's teaching two classes at St. something, uh, St. something, uh, and he's a saint. That's the point. He's a saint, right? He, he, he's turned serving into a vocation. He, he doesn't, his vocation isn't Netflix, his vocation is in his free time, after he, he's been a good father and been a good spouse, those are extremely important things. We can cop out and work too much, right? But, but he is taking his free time after he's done his real job and his job as a father and parent, and then he's giving back. I thought it seemed like a pretty important deal because what we do matters. What we do shapes our behavior. Zig Ziglar, anybody know that name? Hey, hey, there we go, somebody's over 60. Uh, so, so that's same thing with me, same thing with me. Uh, Zig Ziglar used to tell this story, it's one of my favorites. Uh, you, you may have heard it before, but there was a, a guy in the early 80s who became a um, famous magazine uh, producer, editor, is that what you call him, editor? Um, and he, in high school, was kind of a bum. Uh, played around with substances that he probably shouldn't have, hung out with the wrong crowd, skipped classes, the whole nine, right? He, he takes the SAT because his mother makes him take the SAT. He gets the SAT back, by the way, though, you ACT people, it's similar, okay? Um, and you guys go up to like 30, well, I, you sure you don't go up to 24? Because that's what I got. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, so the SAT goes up to 1600, right? 1600 genius, okay? He takes the SAT, he gets his results back 1480. A stoner in the 80s, 1480. And, and, and guess what his mom, well, the first thing his mom thought, what, 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 did she, what did she ask him? Who'd you cheat off of? He's like, Mom, I tried. You know I would try, but I just couldn't, you know? Everybody had kind of a different test, and it just wasn't working. She's like, 14, that's incredible. I told you. And guess what he started doing? He started acting like a guy who got a 1480. He went to Wichita State University, graduated from there, started this. He was a millionaire. This is, this is when millions were more like billions back in the 80s, right? So he was a millionaire in his mid-30s. It's pretty cool. 12 years, 12 years after he got his SAT, he got a letter from Princeton, New Jersey. He's married, he's got kids. He gets a letter from Princeton, New Jersey. And they do this, I guess, periodically. I'm waiting for mine to be sent to me. But he said, your SAT score was actually wrong. You got a 740. <laughs> so what changed? His behavior changed. 
He, he started acting like a person who got a 1480. He started cutting some things out of his life, putting other things into his life, right? He started to act the part. What will happen if we start to act like God's princes and princesses? That we are actually in our vocation ruling like he would rule if he were sitting in our chair. That's what will give us meaning and purpose. It will give us somebody to be and something to do. And folks, this is extremely important. Viktor Frankl, who, who was, who, he survived a concentration camp, right? You've heard the name, he uh, wrote a book called something about meaning, the meaning of life. Yeah, that's it. Meaning of life. Say it one more time. Man's Search for Meaning. Thank you. That's it. Man's Search for Meaning. And in that book, he actually, I think it's that book, that he actually calls this something to do and someone to be. He actually calls it the will to meaning. The will to meaning. Something to do and someone to be. He as a psychologist. So after he got out of the concentration camp, his wife died, his child died, many of his friends died. He survived and he became a world-renowned renowned psychologist, right? This is what he says. This is what he says. He says, when a person cannot realize his or her will to meaning, remember that means someone to be and something to do, when, when, when he doesn't get that, then their lives, they will experience an abysmal sensation of meaningless and emptiness. The frustration of the existential need for meaningful goals, and I'll say this, meaningful work, will give rise, if you don't have that, it will give rise to aggression, addiction, depression, suicidality, and he goes on as a psychologist to say many neurological disorders are a result of meaningless. They don't have something to do. They, they, they haven't been con convinced that they got someone to be, that God created them to be something and to do something. Amen? All right, I got a decision to make. I stop now or keep going? What do you want? I'll keep going. I heard I only needed one. Only needed one. Okay. So, this is important. You do have something to do. Jesus told us in his greatest sermon ever. He says, you are the light of the marketplace. Because that's part of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. That's also work. Your, your good work and glorify your Father in heaven. See, when we think about our jobs, we, we often think about just what does it give us? The ben what are the benefits? What do I get paid, Right? No, 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 there's, there's a lot more benefits to it. You play an extremely vital role in the little garden that God has given you to tend to. Your work matters. Listen, your work matters because the people you work with, the people you work for, the people you work unto matter to God. You're the lie of the marketplace. You're the light of your company. It's important that you serve that role well, well, and you may be thinking, man, you don't know about my marketplace. This is extremely dark. E even more so, right? 
Light shows up brighter in the dark. Talking about talking to Jonathan about doing this, he's just we just just, just imagine, just imagine if every Christian in every workplace just did two things or stopped doing two things. What if every single follower of Jesus stopped complaining and stopped gossiping? Two things that Jesus addresses. Would it not change the environment? in which you work, it would change your life. It would change. You, you may not even get to be a positive person, but if you're just more, less negative, <laughs> if you're just less negative, it'll change your life and your witness. Absolutely change your life and your witness. Okay? Notice what he says here. If you, uh, let your light shine before men in the same way uh, so that they were, so let your light shine at the marketplace right? So that they will see your good deeds and what? Give you a promotion and pay you more money. It's just not what it's about. It's what we make it about. But there, there should be a way that we, in which we do what we do so well, so authentically, so lovingly, that people around us over time make a connection between what we do and how we do it and who we follow. And that can change everything. That's where second mile service came from, right? The dude at Ritz-Carlton didn't come up with that. He put it in a book. He took ownership of it. Jesus came up with second mile uh, work ethic, right? Because back then, a Roman soldier could tell anybody to carry their pack. Any any non-Roman citizen, the centurion could say, I want you to carry that a mile in any direction. But I'm going this way. It doesn't matter. You just had to do it. And what Jesus said is, don't just go one mile, go two. Sometimes we think his, well, I'll just go the mile, but I'll have a good attitude. That's not what Jesus says. If we're apprenticing Jesus, we don't just do it with a good attitude. We do it with a good attitude and do more, right? That's, that's second mile service. The reason Christianity survived, the reason why we're here today, is because of the way that Christians behaved in the first century, They took seriously Jesus' teaching. When he said, love those who hate you. My my boss hates me. Yeah, I know he hates you. I know he hates you. But guess what? If If the people who he likes does good to him, he'll never notice. But if the ones that he hates doesn't like very well, if they do good to him in a good attitude, it's got to wake him up. He can't miss that. Do unto others. Right? That's how he ended that passage. Do unto others, work unto others, manage unto others, sell unto others, build unto others as you would have them build unto you. Teach unto others, barista unto others. Whatever you do, do unto others at the workplace as you would want them to do to you. Landscape, lawyer unto others, teach unto others, stay at home with your kids unto others as you would want others to do to you, right? If you're a student, that's your job. Lean into it. Be the very best that you can. Take these principles. Apply it to your studenthood and student unto others as you would want them to student unto you, right? So, so is it true? Does God really have sacred and secular or is it possible that all things are sacred? Does he really call people to lawyer, to teach, to bank, to work at Simple Modern? I thought, I, thought I'd get, I thought I'd get a loud amen there. Working the oil and gas business. There we go. There we go. Does he do that? 
Well, of course he does. Of course he does, because salt is only uh, effective when it's scattered. And light is only effective where there is darkness. Ben, can come back up. Where did I decide to end on this? Uh, so, we'll leave this slide up there as they uh, come up to uh, lead us. Maybe you just stand with me. Let's pray. Let's, let's reflect on this. Let's believe this. What if, we, what if we really believed when we walked out of here that our job, our vocation, was to make the invisible God visible? That's our vocation, wherever, wherever life takes us. So, we will have the prayer team uh, up here. Man, if you're, in a, if you're exhausted and you just need to be renewed and you, you want to pray, come pray. If, you're, if you don't have a job right now and you're like, you know, I felt guilty the whole time he's been talking, I don't have a job, hey, it's not your fault. Your full-time job right now is finding a full-time job, right? And let us pray for you. Let us pray for you and, and ask God to, to, to give you that right? Some of you need to, to ask Genesis 1 and 2 questions, right? God, where, where is there potential around my workplace that maybe others don't see, and how can I help bring it to life? So some of you may need to ask Genesis 3 type questions. After the fall, there's chaos, there's backbiting. There's, there, there's being critical. Where is that taking? Where is sin rearing its ugly head in the workplace? And how can I, as a prince or princess of the king, bring about some good in that situation? Where has sin ra raised its ugly head and made you think too little or too much about work? Let's just reflect. I went a long time. I apologize a little bit. But don't rush this part. Holy Spirit, would you just seal in our hearts and in our minds, could this be a life-changing moment, Father? Will we get a new, new vision for, for the blessing, for the gift that you've given to us in our job? As long as we are in it, Father, until you provide something else, would you please help us to reflect and to mirror you, to make you visible in an invisible work environment. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.